Beginning the uh, a third mini-series for the winter. This will be the last one, and then we'll be back in uh, in a book of the Bible. Um, but uh, back in Advent, during December, we did a, a series on God's story. What it is that the church believes. What is this good news? Uh, what God has done in Jesus. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We looked at those four aspects of the Bible's story. And then this past month, we looked at God's mission for the church to make followers of Jesus in worship, community, and mission. And today, we're going to begin a a brief series on how God cares for and leads His church uh, through the work of shepherding. Um, And this is to coincide, we're we're starting a a new initiative here at Grace. Uh, called shepherding groups where every uh, every member of the church uh, will be um, cared for by an elder uh, and a deacon and every uh, all these shepherding groups will be headed up by an elder and a deacon will assist them uh, you'll be getting a letter in the mail hopefully this week with more information about that uh, but we are a church led by elders we believe that uh, that's the bible's picture of how he care how God cares for his church. And so we're a church led by elders. But what in the world does an elder shepherd do? What does it mean to shepherd? What does it mean to be shepherded? What should we expect from our church leaders? And what should church leaders expect from those under their care? Uh, hopefully this little series is going to answer many of those questions. But let's begin with this question. Why a shepherd? Why that image? Uh, why does God use that image? It really doesn't have a whole lot of relevance for us. Uh, some of you have kept horses or cows. Maybe you've had some goats. Uh, but shepherding is not something that most of us are familiar with. And yet that's the title that God chooses. Uh, he shows himself in this way to his people. So, so begin to understand this imagery of a shepherd. We're going to start at Psalm 23. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 23. If you're using the uh, Bible there in the pew in front of you, it should be on page 458. Now, a, a word of, of caution if you've been around, uh, if you've been around the church or the Bible a good bit, then you're probably familiar with Psalm 23. Uh, you may have memorized Psalm 23, particularly in the King James, uh, which is fine. But there's always a danger to us whenever we're familiar with something. Uh, we don't really look at it, right? It becomes kind of like the furniture in the house. We just walk by it without giving it much attention. And so I don't want us to do that, of course, with any part of God's Word. But uh, today, let's not do that with Psalm 23. If it's something you're familiar with, if you've got it memorized, um, that's good. But I want you to come to Psalm 23 this morning with, with fresh eyes. Uh, and let's see what God has for us here. So let's look at Psalm 23. David says... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask His help in understanding it. Let's pray. Father, now as we turn to your word, we ask for your guidance, we ask for your enlightenment. God, open our eyes, uh, open our ears, help us to see, to understand what you have for us here in Psalm 23 today. Uh, For many of us, it may be an old friend, but I pray that our familiarity would not breed contempt, but rather a a deeper appreciation. Uh, Help us to see our shepherd, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can always tell uh, when an animal has a bad or negligent owner. Can you not? Many of us have seen pictures, no doubt. Hopefully that doesn't apply to any of us. But animals who are uncared for have some of the, the same characteristics. Not only are they scrawny and diseased looking, but uh, the area around them usually doesn't have any food. Um, they are anxious irritable, uh, maybe even aggressive, uh, because they have not been cared for. And David, in this psalm, gives us a picture of the exact opposite of what it means to be cared for. Um, There's a a very helpful book uh, on this this psalm written by a shepherd, actually, uh, by a man named Philip Keller, uh, who was a shepherd in East Africa for a number of years. Uh, It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I encourage you to to pick it up. Uh, But he talks about a ranch that was next to his own where the uh, the sheep, where it was a tenant farmer who did not care anything for the sheep, and so they were in an absolute mess. The ground was, was dirty. Uh, they were kind of left to scrabble and forage for whatever they could find, uh, and they always just kind of looked through the fence over at the green pastures where his sheep were, almost as if to say, please, set us free from this terrible master. Um, well, David... Uh, gives us an opposite picture here. He shows us what it means to belong, to be cared for by a good shepherd. Uh, And here's the the main idea of what we're going to see. God loves his people so deeply that he cares for them completely. Completely. That when, when David says, there is nothing I lack, I shall not want in the older English, right? It means that God's care is complete. It is comprehensive. There is nothing missing from it. So God loves his people so deeply that he cares for them completely. And there are four characteristics of this care. And we're going to use these four characteristics over the next few weeks uh, to talk about what it means to be shepherded by God. And here are the four characteristics. The Lord knows... His sheep, the Lord feeds his sheep, the Lord leads his sheep, and the Lord protects his sheep. Knows, feeds, leads, protects. We're gonna, 
We're going to see those in Psalm 23 this morning. Uh, and those four points, by the way, come from a book uh, by a man named Tim Whitmer. Uh, it's a book that our elders have gone through called The Shepherd Leader. And it's on that book that we're basing some of our shepherding changes. So um, if you want to pick that book up, uh, I would encourage you to, to read that as well. But what do we mean when we say the Lord knows knows his sheep? Look at verse 1 there. The Lord. Now, just by way of reminder, I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but whenever in the Old Testament you see the word LORD in all caps, uh, this, is, uh, this is not the common word, not the common Hebrew word for LORD. This is God's name. Uh, we pronounce it now Yahweh uh, because it has four characters. Y-H-W-H. Uh, in older days, it was pronounced Jehovah. You may be familiar with that. But this is the name that God gives Moses in Exodus chapter 3. God is calling Moses to go back to Egypt and get his people. And Moses is a little bit uh, skittish on that front. And so when God tells him to go get the Israelites from Pharaoh's hand, Moses says, okay, who are you? Right? Who Who am I supposed to say has sent me? And... The Lord says, you tell them, I am has sent you. And that phrase, I am, is in that word, Yahweh, right? Uh, that is, if God, God is a, the name God really could, we could say is more of a title. And this name, the Lord, is God's covenant name. It is his, it is his personal name. A name so holy, by the way, that future generations of Israelites wouldn't even dare to say it out loud. That's how sacred the name was to them. But David says, Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. And this is the key that unlocks everything else. The Lord is my shepherd. All of the descriptions of God's shepherding care flow out of this one. That He is my shepherd and I am His sheep. The sense of belonging. I am owned by Him. He is my shepherd. I belong to Him. And it is precisely because God knows His sheep that He cares for them the way that He does. Keller in his book, uh, The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, says that this uh, shepherd-sheep description is a very apt description of the God-human relationship. Uh, he points out several several times in the book that uh, human beings and sheep have a lot of things in common. Uh, they're both very stubborn. Uh, the she- sheep aren't very good at taking care of themselves. They will wander off if not led. They will eat the wrong things if not if not prepared. Uh, they get very anxious when their environment is disturbed. Uh, they're very stubborn. They can be quite stupid. All right? Um, I'm not talking about any of you. I'm just talking about me. Okay? Uh, so and that's, a, that's a shepherd who's familiar with sheep saying there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot in common between those two. So it's apt that God uses the shepherd-sheep imagery to describe his relationship. Think about some of the other titles that God uses. Uh, you know, you have some impersonal ones like fortress or rock. Good ones like king or redeemer. 
God, of course, uh, presents himself as a father, which is a beautiful image. But let's contrast those two very quickly just to see the difference between a dad and a shepherd. Um, from the very moment of a child's birth, it's the job of the parents to get that child out of the house. Right? That that from the very moment you are cradling that newborn body in your arms, uh, you are moving towards the day of independence. Right? Uh, Self-feeding becomes potty training, becomes school and self-learning, and that becomes driving, and that becomes graduating, and that becomes first real job, right? There's There are all these milestones of independence that a parent uh, walks their child through as they push that baby bird out the nest, right? But a shepherd uh, never leaves his sheep. In fact, the sheep cannot ever be independent of the shepherd. Not if they are to flourish. Uh, the shepherd and the sheep, uh, the sheep are always dependent on the shepherd's care. There's never an independence day for the sheep. They always need their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. I lack nothing. David's not talking about material prosperity, health, or wealth. He had both poverty and wealth for his entire life. He had a portion of both. Uh, In fact, the wealthier that David became, the more problems he had. More money, more problems. No, what David is saying is, I am content. I am content in God's care. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Think back to that confession of sin that I read from Matthew chapter 6. We're always so frantic. We're always so worried. We want to get to the point where we can say, The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. If my bank account is emptied tomorrow, The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. If my life ends in a car accident on Wednesday, the Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing I lack. If I win the lottery on Thursday, which I don't play the lottery, but but if I I inherit a million dollars, the Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing I lack. That's the center of our joy. That the Lord knows His sheep. That's the core of our joy. If God knows you as His sheep then there is nothing more to crave. There's nothing more to chase. How do we apply this this first point? I think for us it means that we need to pursue what it means to be known and owned by God. That every morning we kind of have to reorient ourselves. Have to do a hard reset. Right? And remember that we are known and owned by God and our contentment rests right there, regardless of how circumstances change. Now how do we do that? How do we trust God's care? I think we can learn more in our next point. The Lord feeds His sheep. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters or waters of peace, quiet waters. Right? These are pictures of fulfillment and rest. You read that and you almost think, man, that would be nice. Right? Uh, Did you know that a sheep will not lie down unless he is free from fear and hunger? A sheep will stay on his feet as long as he is not content. It is hard for a sheep to lie down. Hunger must be gone. Fear must be gone. And here we see the shepherd necessary once again. That the shepherd leads his sheep into a place where they can rest. Where they are well fed. Where they are well taken care of. And where they can rest. Now any farmer will tell you that it takes a good amount of work to provide good green grass. You can look at my yard. And I can tell you there's probably a lot for an animal to forage from my yard, but most of it is not healthy grass, right? Uh, and sheep are peculiar creatures uh, because they'll eat just about anything that grows, whether it's good for them or not. If they're hungry, they're going to eat something, right? And so the shepherd must do the hard work of providing green pasture, Take out the rocks, take out the roots, plant good, healthy grass. Same with water. If water is available, sheep's going to drink it. Even if that water is a muddy hole. Keller tells about a a watching sheep on their way down to, uh, to a watering source, a good watering source, and some of the sheep just stubbornly stop to drink water out of, out of the, the puddles. Um, that other sheep have already walked through and made muddy and and peed in, right? And used the bathroom in. And there, and there, some sheep are just like, "I'll drink here. This will be fine," right? Uh, they don't, unless guided, they'll just stop right there and drink what's not good for them. And you know what? I don't know that we're all that different. We are hungry and thirsty creatures, but we are not super discerning. We will stop and we will feast ourselves on a million different things. See, we, we're, we're actually made, right? We're, I mean, our physical hunger and thirst tells us that we are not made to be self-sufficient. We are dependent creatures. Our physical, our physical hunger and thirst is a demonstration of our spiritual hunger and thirst. We are made to be dependent on something else. And yet, when it comes down to it, we're not super discerning. We'll just cram in there whatever we can find. Right? Uh, even, even if it would take a little bit of effort to go for the good food, and I'm not speaking spiritually, but even real food, right? No sense in going all that way when I can just stop right here. Why feast on God's Word when I can feast on Twitter? This gives some short, this gives some short term, uh, fulfillment anyway, right? And so, uh, we will drain life, uh, and sustenance from all manner of things. Whether that's our hobbies, whether that's our work, or our marriages, or our children, we will attempt to find significance and satisfaction in all manner of places, and none of those things will satisfy. And the more we try, the more we try to get our nourishment from from dissatisfying places, the more we will bleed those things dry. We will take those good gifts and we will bleed them dry. God uses this picture in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, God says, My people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. I don't know if you've ever seen a cistern. My brother worked in the Bahamas for a a brief period of time, not like in the luxurious part of the Bahamas, but the other part, the real part of the Bahamas. Uh, And this camp that he worked at, um, they got their water for showering, etc., out of a cistern, uh, which is basically a big dugout pit that collects rainwater. And to keep mosquitoes out, they just threw some sheet metal over it. Don't brush your teeth with that water, okay? Um... That's a cistern. And God says, that's what my people do. They've dug out their own cisterns, and they go for their, ner- they go for their satisfaction there. But here's the problem. Even the cisterns they dig out are broken. They don't hold water. You end up with mud and dust. My people have forsaken the, the clean, pure mountain spring and have chosen to quench their thirst in a mud pit. And so we need to return to the shepherd of our souls, right? Who leads us beside peaceful waters, waters of rest. He restores my soul. This is a picture of of healing and refreshment. The shepherd is the one who takes care of the pest, right? They dip the sheep so that the ticks go away. Uh, They plant, they plant uh, trees so that the, the sheep don't have to be out in the midst of the gnats and the mosquitoes, right? Uh, the shepherd is the one who takes care of the sheep. He restores my soul. Always in the background is this, is this figure of the shepherd. The Lord knows his sheep. The Lord feeds his sheep. The Lord leads his sheep. Look at the, uh, look at the second part of verse 3. He leads me down the right path. He leads me down the right path. God will never lead us in the wrong direction. He is never lost. So in fact, we are never lost. E.S. Hall wrote these words in 1897. I do not ask to see the way my feet will have to tread but only that my soul may feed upon the living bread. Tis better far that I should walk by faith close to His side. I may not know the way I go, but oh, I know my guide. The shepherd leads his sheep down the right paths. Sheep are prone to wander. They are easily scattered. All it takes is a slightest distraction or disturbance and they stampede and the shepherd must go and regather them. And he does this, David says, for his namesake. He does it for his reputation, for his glory. God leads his sheep for his glory. Not for the glory of his people, but for his reputation. He will be known as the good shepherd Ezekiel mentions this in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, 22. God says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, 
It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. So let me just kind of tell you a little background where Ezekiel is, okay? Ezekiel is in exile. God's people have rejected God enough that they are in exile in Babylon. And Ezekiel is a prophet who is with them. And he is bringing God's word to them in exile. And God says, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act. So I'm about to do something, but it's not because of you. It's not for your sake I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Hearing a theme there, a little repetitive. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. How's he going to do that? How will God vindicate his name through his people? I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Notice that he sprinkles. He doesn't immerse. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Just saying, it's in the Bible. And you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So what's God going to do to vindicate His name? He's going to clean up His people. He's going to rid them of their idolatry. They're not going to do it. He's going to do it. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. He leads us down right paths. And be careful to obey my rules. I will deliver you from all your, all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will do this for my namesake. For His glory, God leads His people in right paths. The Lord knows His sheep. The Lord feeds His sheep. The Lord leads His sheep. And finally, the Lord protects His sheep. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the, or the valley of deep darkness... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your path, they comfort me. Do you notice a little bit that, that something that seems incongruous? David just said, he leads me down the right path. How in the world did I end up in the valley of deep darkness? Because sometimes the right path doesn't always go the way we think it should. Sometimes God leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes He leads us into deep darkness. Sometimes that's the way the right path goes. So, I want to say simply, simply because you may be in a dark valley, does not mean that God is not guiding you. It does not mean that the shepherd is absent or has become derelict, right? He has not forsaken you. But what does David say? I will fear no evil. The word for evil is a very general word. It can also mean danger. I will fear no bad thing. Let me ask you, how much of your life is driven by fear? 
How much, how much of your everyday decisions are driven by fear? Fear of acceptance. Fear of missing out. Fear that I won't have enough. Fear that my children won't, won't turn out okay. Fear that I won't have my job tomorrow. Fear that I may die. David says, even in the valley of darkness, I will fear no evil. Now, David's not saying he's never afraid. David's not saying he's invincible to fear. That's not, that's not what David is saying. And we know that because immediately he points to the shepherd. I will fear no evil because, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. The rod was a, was a cudgel, a small bat used for defense. And the staff was used to guide and pull and direct the sheep. Because sometimes you just gave them a little tap on the bottom. And sometimes you had to yank them around the neck. Right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because the shepherd, uh, right? And, and so you have protection and discipline. Both are a security to the sheep. Both protection and discipline are the sheep's security. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I remember somebody telling me one time that uh, sheep, because they're skittish, uh, when they would walk into a, a valley, right, where it's, so the, the walls are high and it's dark and sounds could spook them, uh, what the shepherd would do is he would just lay his staff on the back of the sheep and let him know, I'm right here. I'm right here. The Lord protects His sheep. He goes on, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David seems to shift the metaphor here from the, the, the sheep's pasture uh, to the royal banquet. That God has prepared a feast for His people in front of their enemies to say, Looky here. They are mine. They are safe. They are secure. My cup is full. God protects and cares for His people. I want to close with this picture here in the very last verse. God knows, feeds, leads, and protects His sheep. David says in verse 6, Surely, goodness and mercy. That word mercy... Uh, is also translated steadfast love. It's a difficult term to translate, but it's basically how God describes His unrelenting faithfulness to His people. That's why we say steadfast love. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which we're a big fan of, uh, says uh, uses this term. It says this is God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Surely, goodness and steadfast love will follow me. But follows to, uh, follows not quite right. It's not the word follow, it's the word pursue. Surely, goodness and steadfast love will pursue me all my days. Now there's irony there. Because when this word is used in other places, this word pursue, it's used of enemies. 
of people being pursued by their enemies. And when you hear the word pursuit, that's probably the first thing that you think. To be pursued or stalked by someone who is out to get you. Someone who wants to harm you. But when the Lord is your shepherd, you don't have to worry about enemies pursuing you. Because it is God who pursues you. It is His goodness and steadfast love that pursue His people. They chase us down. God is not passive in loving His people. When we talk about God's love, we're not talking about some broad, general, warm and fuzzy love. We are talking about an active pursuit of God chasing us. And there's no greater display of this than the cross. On the cross, God most clearly displays His pursuit of His people. Singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson puts it this way. Puts it this way. Jesus chased the money men and He chased His Father's will. He chased my sin to Calvary and He caught it on that hill. I wonder, have you been pursued by the love and grace of God? Do you know what it means to have this as your shepherd? Or are you the sheep on the other side of the fence? Have you been harassed by that bad shepherd, by the bad shepherd's sin and Satan? Have you been abused by a tenant farmer? Or as we said earlier, are you under the grip of hands too strong for you? I want to invite you to know Jesus as your shepherd. To embrace the steadfast love and goodness of God displayed at Calvary's cross and vindicated in the empty tomb. Jesus is a good shepherd. I pray that you would come to Him and find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there's always so much more we can say about Your goodness. Especially because we're prone to doubt it. Because we don't fully understand it. But God, I pray that we would rest in this picture of You as our shepherd. That we would understand more and more what it means to run away from those muddy puddles. To be done with foraging for weeds on barren hillsides. And to run to You. To heed Your call. To be known by You. To be owned by You. To be fed and led and protected by You. May we know the peace and rest of this truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and let's worship the giver of all good gifts by returning.